0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lisa Burke Show. I hope you've all had a good week and happy belated St. Patrick's Day. And on that point, you may have seen our little video on RTL Today, where myself and my Irish colleagues here on the radio, Sam Steen and Melissa Dalton, shared some Irish snacks, courtesy of Sam's mother, bringing them over on the plane with her. So thank you to Sam's mum there. We also did a lovely interview where, again, myself, Sam and Melissa were the guests of Terence Jaros on his podcast Vous avez comment accent," where we spoke about the Irish language you can get in touch with me and the radio team on all the usual social media channels and you can listen to this show on RTL Today Radio at 11am on Saturdays repeated on Sunday at noon and also available as a podcast on RTL Play, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you're a podcast listener, as it really helps the podcast to be found amidst the plethora of others out there, and it puts Little Luxembourg on the podcast map. Apparently, rating the podcast also very much helps and would be very appreciated.
1: RTL Original Podcast.
0: And now on to today's show. I have three guests from the British Luxembourg Society to talk about what's coming up in their 75th anniversary year. Louise Benjamin, Darren Robinson... And Jackie Spence. I was also going to have musician and composer Pascal Schumacher in the studio to talk about his latest album, Luna. However, he tested a symptomatically positive for COVID yesterday, so sadly cannot make it this time, but he will be here another time in the future. In his place, however, I'm delighted to welcome Gosha Kramer, CEO of The Office, now with three locations in Luxembourg, a place where companies can co work, meet, and eat together. Now, most people know Gosha in Luxembourg as the beautiful and talented Polish entrepreneur that she is. What is less known is that her studies at the University of Poznan in Poland targeted studies on post-Soviet transformations. She studied in the Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Georgia and Finland, carrying out the Polish government's mission to monitor these countries on their path to political and economic transformation. She also worked with UN researchers and missions from Belgium on precisely the same topic. In Luxembourg, before becoming an entrepreneur, Gosha was an account manager to the Central Bank of Russia and witnessed how they prepared for current military operations and wars. She managed all of their US and EU portfolios. In the last few weeks, Gosha as a well-known member of the Polish community, has been working very hard with her team and other volunteers to collect as many items for the Ukrainian refugees as possible. Gosha, welcome. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's wonderful to have you here and to see all that you're doing on the social media channels. And of course, so many people in Luxembourg know you and your work, but not so many people knew about your past. So to begin with, can you tell us a little bit more about your studies?
2: It's true. I uh, no, When you're a business owner... You don't introduce yourself uh, as a um, post-Soviet specialist, actually, which I am, by education and by my first career path. Um, that was the direction I studied. Uh, I, I also even started PhD uh, diploma towards this direction, that which I gave up during my career, and which still makes me... Uh, a person who, that quite understands what is happening and is able to translate it or to explain it to first to my kids to my team to my co-workers uh, to and my now network. to the RTL today audience <laughs> to RTL today and uh, okay I, I don't want to play uh, you know like an upper role being a specialist because as, as you said like uh, even when we are doing donations uh, actions for for, for, for Ukraine, Mm, because part of it went directly to Ukraine, to the most impacted regions, It's uh, there are always people behind me. So uh, amazing amount of volunteers that support my, my work. And uh, I try to focus on raising awareness, because I'm deeply concerned about what is happening. Of course, I'm Polish. So we have the fear for, for war in our DNA. we, we went
0: Sitting on the border, Sitting of course. Border and and in fact, there was an explosion very close to the border. We're recording this on Friday morning, just last night, in fact. But going back to your studies, through that time, what did you learn from your point of view? And you've studied in a number of countries. And also, if you can try to place yourself into the Russian mindset from both sides.
2: Um. Very good question, Lisa, because um, the mindset here plays a critical role towards understanding what's happening. Uh, I have a feeling that Western community doesn't understand Putin. And the same way, to be fair, Putin doesn't understand democracy. So we have two fronts right now, two mentalities uh, against each other. when it comes to to Russia, the story is is very long. It's uh, what's happening nowadays. It's uh, part of the biggest plan, that uh, part of the largest part, plan that was executed since uh, at least ten years by Putin.
0: I know that in the banking world, you did see. I, actions being put in place to safeguard against potential sanctions in the future and gold being bought up, for instance, as well.
2: That, that's correct. Uh, I was uh, I was casual witness of uh, such actions because um, as an account manager, I had to travel to Russia multiple times. I also traveled to, uh, to Ukraine equally often. And, uh, you know, during the meetings, it was disclosed to me how Russia was buying gold from all post soviet republics and from any access uh, they could get, uh, even to funny stories as they would be going in the, into the local market in Tajikistan, like, you know, representatives of Central Bank would go to a local market to buy the gold from there. Uh, so, so it was a, a big preparation put in place uh, at least uh, since 10 years, uh, changing the assets into gold and uh, diversifying portfolios, diversifying the place of keeping the assets because uh, um, it's, it's public information at the, at the beginning the the Central Bank of Russian Federation assets were kept in Luxembourg actually. I was the account manager of them, and uh, when uh, Russia attacked Crimea, uh, here Clearstream, safekeeper of the assets, implemented very strict policy, following the sanctions uh, based on annexation. Uh, but then, um, actually, Belgium became like more relaxed uh, towards those assets, so so Central Bank just moved it because uh, that was. Our not uh, unified reaction as European Community that uh, we could not agree to the level of the sanctions and to the execution of the sanctions. Right now we see a little bit different story that uh, the sanctions are much stronger and the response and execution it's, uh, it's it's also strict. During that time, were you ever asked or approached to become a sort of spy? I didn't. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful part of um, female gender discrimination, because my boyfriends were, and I was aware of it. And uh, when we were uh, still researchers, uh, I know that they have been approached by both uh, Polish spies agencies and Russian spies agencies. uh, So on both sides? uh, On both sides. I was kind of, um, I was followed I was excluded uh, from it. Uh, Followed by thought. which country? Uh, there were, you know, like agency doesn't have a specific country, let's put it that way. When we speak about, for, for example, Soviet agency, we speak about a multiple nation country that is desynchronized along uh, various uh, post-Soviet Republic um, places.
0: Well, that's a very interesting point, because then given that you've worked in Russia and Ukraine and various other countries, but at the moment we're focusing on those two countries, what did you feel was the relationship between the two countries? And of course, that's a very hard question because uh, not every person represents their country. A passport doesn't represent a person's intrinsic values or ideas or thoughts sometimes. But, But given your outside viewpoint, what did you feel was happening between those two countries when you were working with them both very intensely? Entire
2: post-Soviet uh, post-Soviet republics uh, region has a very um, difficult relationships with Russia. From uh, historically, uh, Ukraine uh, demonstrated it several times in the history that they don't want to be part of Russia. So, whichever revolution was happening, they always voted to to the, the territory from Russia, because Ukraine is a separate European nation, and they always felt it and they always fought for it. Um, they are separate, but they still—I mean, even in the the dialogue that
0: we've heard over the recent weeks—they still call themselves the brothers,
2: the sisters of the Russian people, the one family. Well, this is how Russia propaganda calls them. They never consider themselves as brothers and sisters of Russia. We are sharing, uh, you know, Slavic nation also includes, for example, Poland. And we also consider uh, Ukraine as our brotherhood, uh, but not really Russia, right? Because historically too much happened. And if, uh, if you look back even to Second World War, how Soviet uh, army destroyed Ukraine. They, they, they destroyed it to the last, to the, uh, the ground. Uh, So the brotherhood was already killed uh, there back in the days and uh, Ukrainians carry a very strong sense of their own nationality. They understand Russia, they speak Russian because this is the language they were taught at school. Uh, in the meantime, they developed, uh, they, they brought back Ukrainian to school. So right now, younger generations, they speak Ukrainian, they don't speak Russian any longer. Uh, so this uh, sense of belonging and brotherhood uh, that we see uh, as a narrative of, of Russia uh, is not as strong as, as, as we might believe. And just thinking
0: also, Of what you observed as, as you say, in your own words, a casual witness through your time in Clearstream, why do you think uh, Russia was doing this? Do you feel that they might feel a little bit hard done by, that they are the black sheep of the Western world, let's say, they're not included and they are acting, therefore, defensively in their choices because they're trying to protect themselves geographically and also asset-wise?
2: I rather don't refer directly to the Russian narrative because it would be disgrace to Ukrainian nation and to any European nation because providing any sort of explanation to the most brutal invasion since since, since Second World War, uh, it has zero justification in, in any kind of argument. And if you look at it, because, uh, you know, historically, Many things have happened post-war. Uh, Russians' plans for expansion were tolerated by Western community. Let's look at Georgia, Crimea. Not speaking about little republics annexed uh, in, in the in, in uh, on the, on the go, um, and and surprisingly, or not surprisingly, uh, Russia invades only those territories that have direct access to the seas and uh, the Russian, so-called Russian minorities being discriminated uh, are only sitting at the seacoast, um, which is absurdic. And I refuse to, to, to even you know, tolerate this kind of excuse and, um, you know, when I look at, at developing situation I feel kind of like, uh, you know, Jennifer Lawrence in the, in the movie uh, Don't Look Up yeah I, I did watch yeah. that yeah i have a feeling I like i would have to stand here and and uh, and scream like you know don't look at the sea because if you look at the sea you realize that there is a hundred percent chance that much more people are going to die mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well let, let's turn to poland and everything that the Polish community here in Luxembourg, but of course in the country itself, have been doing. I mean, I think the statistics are like two million, more than two million refugees have literally crossed the border into Poland and are being cared for by the Polish people in less than 30 days. That's incredible, isn't it? It's. I mean, it's giving me goosebumps as I say it. And the Polish people have been literally there opening their homes, their schools, everything tell us about the mindset of the polish people to the ukrainian families mostly women and children
2: uh, it's unbelievable what was happening um, i uh, you know like uh, polish, uh, po- polish as, a, as a nation we have our little issues inside of the countries and uh, like you know there's always like discussions happening uh, should, should we do this or that but uh, uh, from the day number one of war nobody had a single doubt of what to do like how Polish nation jump on helping. Uh, I, I was, I'm pr- proud to be Polish. Mm-hmm. Every day. Because uh, as, as you are saying, this uh, support was organized by civilians. So before government reacted with civilians, we ha- had it all figured out. We created, you know, the Facebook forums and groups and we created the network of drivers bringing people from the border to the houses, then we created a platform when people were publishing uh, their apartments. So, and uh, the, the Ukrainian families, they could choose with whom to stay, like, you know, look at the picture. I would have, I'd like to be with this family or countryside and maybe with the dogs. So it was like, you know, it was full inclusion. Of course, right now, since we have two, two million Ukrainians right now, it became more complicated. So we had to activate schools. And just remind us, what is the actual population of Poland prior to this? So population of Poland is uh, of not even 40 millions right now. So it's quite a fraction. Uh, it, it is. So, like, a fraction is significant, uh, which we are still managing. But I'm afraid because the Ukrainian population is 45 million and it's only two millions that has managed to escape. So the question is what's ha- going to happen with, with other 43 million that are still in the country. Yeah. Because we will not be able, like, physically to to accept them all. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, obviously... We have also seen your work here in Luxembourg.
0: So tell us about what you have organized here.
2: We organized a collection of most critical items. So it was targeted action, something that I always uh, remind everybody, like, if you would like to support humanitarian aid actions, do please do it mindfully because um, there are special lists being circulated of items that are needed at this moment. Which you can find on lucraine.lu. You can find it on lucraine.lu. We, uh, we are working also with a Polish uh, specialized organizations. So uh, they are called Human Dog. They specialize in uh, targeted refugee support. So they help, uh, they send uh, rescue missions. Because you have to imagine that many of those refugees they cannot get out on their own, so they send rescue missions. They send uh, humanitarian aid directly to Ukraine, uh, to the cities that are the most impact, impacted by uh, bombarding and uh, basically destroyed. When the, there's no food, no medication, uh, so we we organize a very targeted action on uh, firstly medications. Um and here we got supported by the communes of Luxembourg. It was unbelievable to, uh, to watch and um, I was like on the, on the phone with the organization all the time. and uh, I must say that like, uh, that was I think like the, the on, on medications that would, that was the only um, uh, moment when I broke. Uh, when I got a call saying like, uh, goshsha, like we need uh, children intubation tubes. And um, I I broke down. On that point, I literally yesterday saw
0: a piece by Alex Crawford from Sky News where she was taking pictures of surrogate babies in incubator after incubator after incubator uh,
2: whose new parents cannot get to the country to collect them. Yes. And um, the... Ukraine was always like a very attractive country for our surrogates. And, uh, and right now those babies are left alone. And uh, I, uh, I've seen those uh, reportages as well. Newborns being, uh, and speaking of which, because that, that was uh, the action that we are organizing actually at the office uh, right now, because uh, we are supporting uh, right now the most critical items is actually the baby sets for the newborns. Okay, so, so that's we are a call collecting out. Yeah. Right now we're going to be sending it in the transport on Tuesday. So we are collecting through the weekend and on Monday and Tuesday morning every item that is related to newborn sets. So if anybody listening has anything for newborn babies, clothing-wise
0: I suppose people may have some. Clothing-wise,
2: but, but also like, uh, you know, the, the pumpers uh, for, for, for the newborns, baby blanket yeah and i and i think that that um, like if you picture yourself being uh just becoming a mother, uh, what would you need in this situation? Uh, pacifiers, bottles, uh, nappies. Uh, the washable ones? The washable
0: nappies. Washable nappies. So that's better than actual packets of diapers because they can be reused, of course. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the awful pictures of hospitals and maternity hospitals being bombed, And one particular picture, an image of a woman on a stretcher in labor who
2: actually died, unfortunately. and Her baby died too. Yeah, yeah of course. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. this is all true information, and um, you know we have, we have to all, uh, realize the gravity of the situation. Um, the bombarding on the civilians is happening. We have seen what happened in Mariupol, mm-hmm. in the theater when uh, the bomb on uh, on the place when, where children were hiding. The theater was a sign uh, with children, uh, a huge sign saying "It's children safety place," and they don't hesitate to drop the bomb. What do you think will be the end point for Putin? If I have to speak from the military military strategic perspective, um, well, he has only two options. Uh, internally in Russia, either he's going to be poisoned or his army generals will turn against him. Do you think that is possible? Uh, I think this is already on the agenda. That's why he is hiding and that's why he's so paranoid about his own safety. Because uh, even his army generals are realizing the madness of the situation he caused. So that would be the turning point that his army generals uh, would... Uh, if that happened, who would be in line to take over? They don't have obvious successor. So probably they're going to call back Medvedev because he was like uh, good in uh, being... Uh, In the um, marionette on on the throne, let's put it that way. Um, But you need more than a puppet on the throne when they have to lead a country. It was more a puppet on the throne. Uh, so, So there is no other successor because Putin did not allow anybody to grow alongside him. So there'll be a vacuum of power. It will, if and when he does leave. It, it, will, it will, but the question is like what, what's going to be the level of destruction he's going to still cause before. Uh, and you said there were two options. What is the other one? The other one, it's uh, he, he's going to continue. Lisa, he's not going to stop uh, invading Ukraine. There is no peaceful negotiation that will resolve the situation unless Ukraine surrenders and gives up their independence. And this also would be uh, probably only uh, temporary because uh, Putin, and I I look at it uh, extremely seriously, he already ran his referendum um, where 86% of Russians not only supported his invasion on Ukraine, but also said that uh, he should uh, uh, bring back more countries. And as a first on the line, they pointed on Poland. So he already has acknowledgement from from his own nation to invent Poland. And and you know what it means for Putin? He blows up some Russian school next to the Polish border and he's going to say it was Polish doing it and he's going to attack us. But then NATO comes in. Then NATO comes in and uh, if they come in, because uh, right now um, we have to also realize one thing that... um, we are kind of losing in the game power right now, uh, By not uh, I, I, here I uh, fully agree with uh, the most famous uh, Russian political prisoner, Chodorkovsky. He just um, released a feliton for The Economist. Uh, for
0: those of us who don't know who this very famous Russian prisoner is, why is he
2: in prison? Oh, he used to be all mogul uh, in, in Russia, very good friend of Putin. Uh, and as, as soon as he start, started disagreeing to uh, brutal politics of Putin, he ended up in jail mm-hmm. And uh, ever since because he is the one uh, since at least 10 years opening up our eyes on who Putin really is, that he's a monster, he's um, uh, he, he a madman, uh, realizing his uh, Hitler-like vision. Well, power can change people. Power can change people, and uh, and I think Putin really believes uh, in uh, his upper nation. that probably rings a bell to historic at kind of He believes in his invasion that it's it's justified, that it makes sense, and uh, and he's not being stopped. And, and and right now, we don't have obvious leader in the world that can uh, counterbalance him. Mm-hmm. Because by calling Putin and saying, like, okay, can we, you know, like, can we discuss it? Uh, We just further demonstrate our weakness. Uh, To him, to his mind, because he's not a a talker. He's not a... And he sits there and he observes that and he takes the conclusion.
0: But just coming back to what we can do, what our listeners can do. So the call out to action for anybody here who feels sometimes, like, helpless, Mm -hmm. we can... Think about newborn babies and the things that we can give this weekend.
2: Where can they bring these things? They can bring it to the office located at 29 Bulwaprensenry in the city center of Luxembourg. And alongside newborn items, what else is Uh, in need? For the moment, that's it. So that's why we are working with professional uh, humanitarian aid organizations that are alerting us on every item that is on shortage in Poland. So that's that's how we work. We collect and support uh, what is uh, what they cannot collect locally. So it's it's a very mindful action, not not to uh, to prevent um, over supplies or over purchasing of materials that are needed. So so like uh, medical equipment, we already delivered right now. Okay, that's Thank you
0: so much for your insightful observations. For the background that most people in Luxembourg didn't know about you, they know you for so many other things. They certainly know your entrepreneurial spirit. So, I couldn't think of a better person to be spearheading this. Thank you so much for your time.
2: It was it was my pleasure, and thank you so much for for inviting me and listening. I, I think it's as European uh, community, we we are showing the strength. As so saying at the beginning. Uh, that uh, we have uh, troubles understanding Putin. I think Putin totally underestimated European uh, solidarity that unified us right now together. And I think there is much more we can do as the society, also by reducing energy consumption in our houses, for example, Uh, reducing consumption as such, like thinking three times what we are shopping and why we are shopping um, with with, um, probably the gravity put on the energy consumption because here uh, if we want to become become energy insufficient from russia we just simply have to cut off and reduce and we can do it
0: yeah actually that's an excellent point because what we haven't spoken about in this conversation is how we as a european nation have been so reliant on Russia and Ukraine actually for a lot of our fertilizers, for our grains,
2: and obviously for the oil. And obviously for the oil. And uh, and we can still re- rebuild it. We just need a democratic, fair world to to be able to function and uh, and protect uh, the existing status quo at any price, because it's a future of ours that is on the line right now. And I would like to add that Russians living abroad, living in our European countries, are not putting himself and we see he, not only here in Luxembourg, but also in Germany in, and in France, uh, Russian children being bullied at school, which is absolutely wrong. Um, even during uh, my items collection action, I had Russians coming to support They ask to not be disclosed. They just had the need to do something. I've had the same. I've had a Russian friend,
0: a mother of mine with four children call me. And um, on behalf of other Russian people here, Mm -hmm. they're helping quietly because they have to secure their own family safeties back in Russia. But they really want to help. And of course, they are able to communicate with Ukrainians
2: often. They are and uh, they have nothing to do with uh, local politics and especially their children do not. I know it's it's a very challenging topic to discuss war with children and it is equally important to explain to to your children that Russian kids in a local school have nothing to do with this brutal politics.
0: And quite frequently the reason their families are here may have something to do with the fact that they wanted to move away from the mentality of Russia at the time. That's exactly correct. Thank you, Gosha. Thank you, Lisa. The Lisa Burke Show. Thanks to Gosha there. And I think we'll all have a look in our cellars and our attics to see if we can find any newborn baby clothes. But turning now to the British Luxembourg Society, let me first introduce my guests. Louise Benjamin, their president, is British and Luxembourgish, originally from Guernsey in the Channel Islands, and has lived in Luxembourg since 2002. She is an English solicitor and a Luxembourg avocat avocalecoeur by training. She runs the Benjamin Law Firm. Louise is on the boards of Step Benelux, which shares legal and other best practices across the region, and Life Project for Youth, an NGO providing practical education to young adults who are victims of extreme poverty. She also has... Three sons. Darren Robinson. Darren is British and has lived and worked in England and Australia and has permanently resided in Luxembourg since 2006. He's a founding partner of Anderson Wise, an independent recruitment and executive search firm founded in Luxembourg. Darren has been a council member of the British Chamber of Commerce for Luxembourg since 2008 and has been recently elected for his third time on the Council for the British Luxembourg Society and currently holds the position of secretary. And Jackie Spence, born in London during the war, World War II, then emigrated to Johannesburg, South Africa just after the war. During her years there, she saw the pillars of apartheid laid down around her, despite the efforts of many students and others to oppose this. Jackie returned to London after graduation, worked in survey research, married and moved to Luxembourg as her husband joined the European Parliament, and Jackie worked for the European Commission. In 2000, Jackie became the National Director for the Royal Academy of Dance, representing Benelux, France and Monaco. She served on the National Council for Foreigners, headed their Committee for Women and worked to get the government to recognise dual nationality in 2009. Welcome to you all.
3: Hello. Thank you.
0: It's lovely to have you here. And Jackie, I want to turn to you first of all to talk to us about the British Luxembourg Society, its history, where it came from and really the resonance it has with what we see unfolding today.
4: Lisa, it's quite ironic, isn't it? We're celebrating our 75th anniversary at the close of the Second World War, and we're now seeing another war unfold before us, which I find very poignant and very full of emotion. The Luxembourg Society... If you like, emerged out of the ashes of the war by, particularly a group of Luxembourgers. There were twenty-three Luxembourgers and one Brit, and the one Brit we think was the consul, the British consul here in Luxembourg. And they got together, and with the, with Pierre Werner, um, who then beca- went on to become prime minister and father of the euro, they founded this, with the aim of. A gesture of thanks and admiration for British culture, if you like.
0: And just talk to us then about your memories as a child in London, because I know your mother didn't want to leave London through the war, and how that's impacting you now when you watch the news reports
4: from Ukraine. It's giving me a lot of flashbacks. And it's, you know, I was little, so I have odd memories and I, my heart just goes out to these families. The UK was never occupied. We were bombed. Oh my goodness, were we bombed! I lived south, just south of London, near an airport, so it was a regular event. We didn't have a bomb shelter, so it was. They weren't easy times. But my mother, she wouldn't leave my father. As I expect, other people can recognise that emotion. Um, and it makes me so, so sad to see what's going on now. You know, the European, I'm, I'm a passionate European. And there was such hope after the war. You know, we look at the men who contributed. All those names that we know, Paul-Henri Spark, Jean Monnet, Robert Schumann, they were the fathers of a huge peace project which we thought we'd achieved. And we're now in a very fragile state. People sometimes
0: don't recognize their history. But just moving on then, tell us a little bit more about the British Luxembourg Society, born out of war and with this very long history, 75-year history. So tell us a bit more about what you do and what you stand for.
4: Well, at the beginning, I think it was the Luxembourgers wanting to express a deep sense of gratitude and particularly to Churchill, because that was, if you like, the start point. And the idea amongst the committee was to erect a statue. And they had a fundraiser, which exceeded all expectations financially. And you see that statue now in the plus, Winston Churchill. Many of us drive past it almost every day. But the subscription was so uh, generous... That there was money over. And that led to the institution of something called the Winston Churchill Memorial Lecture. And I would say that's been the flagship of the British Luxembourg Society over the years. And we've invited, we, the Society and its members, have invited numerous high-profile politicians, academics. We've had Margaret Thatcher. We've had Douglas Hurd. We've had two Secretary Generals of NATO. We've had a whole succession of eminent um, speakers. Last, our last big speaker was Lord Patton, and we aim to do this every year. But, so that is one side. But the other side is actually, I think, a little bit even more touching Luxembourg wanted to give back. So in 1947, they brought 166 children to Luxembourg to have a two-month holiday here to see Europe. These are children who were, you know, probably evacuated during the war from in the UK. They came to Luxembourg. And that built up a bit of a tradition of Luxembourg children being invited back, um, students being put in contact. And I thought to myself when I was reflecting on this, it's a bit, you know, it was a predecessor of the Erasmus programme in a way, um, which has been so hugely successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry. Carry on. No, they did all sorts of things. They founded a British English language library. They held an English week, which was quite interesting. Um, Concerts theater performances, musical performances, art exhibitions. So it was very rich in its cultural tradition. And I think that is what we largely hold on to today. You know, we're not a political organization in the sense, I think we are one of goodwill and community relations.
0: And culture is so important. uh, Even in uh, apolitical stances, as we've seen in recent days and weeks as well with the uh, Ukrainian conflict. So, Darren, tell us a little bit about who can join the British Luxembourg Society. Do you have to be British or Luxembourgish?
3: That's a good a good question. And the answer is no, you don't need to be any of those nationalities. I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I came back to, to the society. It was only revived, let's say, in 2017. And it's actually Louise that um, introduced me to the society. And considering I'd been with the British Chamber for so many years, I hadn't come across it at all. And I was invited to one of the Sir Winston Churchill Memorial Lectures. It was um, given by Lord Green. And it was absolutely fascinating. And I was hooked. And it was at that time where I was approached to stand for council. And I did. And it was one of those moments, let's say, during Brexit and after Brexit, where... I felt as a Brit being in Europe and being in Luxembourg, um, things had changed. Perception of Brits had changed. And I thought, you know, I want to do something about that because we haven't changed. And most of us that are on the continent, of course, support Europe. And we believe we're more European. Um, Of course, we're British, but the European project for us is, is important. Now, The membership, we've got about 165 members right now. And out of those, the majority of Luxemburgers, um, followed by Brits. And we have actually 15 different nationalities. And I think the people that are joining are those that have an interest in in British culture. Um, It could be that they studied in the UK or they just like the idea of being part of something that, let's say, is working towards continuing to build this friendship between Luxembourg um, and Britain.
0: And what makes it different to any other society out there on offer in Luxembourg?
3: Yeah, um, well, I've been part of the British Chamber for so long and I would say that's like a a business-to-business type of... Uh, association. This one's a little bit different because I think the connections are very different. Of course, there are business people that are involved in the society, and that's what you would meet at different um, events. But also you'll be speaking to an artist or an historian or somebody from the university. And that's quite unique because in my circle, um, I wouldn't have necessarily met those individuals.
0: Even though you are a recruitment uh, agent and you have a whole (laughs) recruitment portfolio of people.
3: (laughs) That's right. But it's rarely I get asked to um, provide a historian or an artist.
0: (laughs) Yet, yet, yeah, (laughs) it may come. Louise, let's turn to you now, the 75th anniversary. Tell us about this and what you've got planned and just dive a bit more into the British Luxembourg Society. What's it like being president?
1: Well, thank you, Lisa. It's very exciting to be the first female president. I was Yay. elected, and it was announced on International Women's Day last year. So um, it, it is exciting. And the other exciting thing is that our very first Sir Winston Churchill Memorial Lecture to be um, to be hosted by a, a Luxemburger um, will be later this year on the 30th of May. We are absolutely delighted and honoured to have uh, President uh, Juncker to as our speaker and president Juncker will talk about a changing Europe indeed so we've got president Juncker coming we've got a very exciting um, program this year Um, how can people apply to if you would like to um, attend our lecture on the 30th of May um, we invite you to join the society it's actually very inexpensive to join and uh, very easy to join so please do join the society support us and come along. Um, we're very grateful to Fornaris, which is a Fondation Nationale de la Résistance, who are working with us on this lecture, also at the British Embassy and um, HSBC, who are very kindly sponsoring the cocktail afterwards. Always good to have some sponsors, particularly if they're banks. <laughs> and, and I think after two years of COVID, we're all looking forward to a few... Um, receptions in person absolutely
0: will it be a hybrid event actually because so many have gone hybrid now they'll be
1: no we are hoping that by the end of may uh, covid will be behind us temporarily and that we can host up to 280 people So
0: you have have a few more spaces. Darren said there's about 165 members. So if you can host up to 280.
1: Yes, then it's time to join the British Luxembourg Society. And what else have you got going on this year? I think the summer cocktail is another exciting event, which will be on the 12th of July at the residence of the British Embassy. And there will be live music. Um, We will also have a double-decker bus to take you there. It's a nice English London bus. And we will um, announce the results of our Jubilee Poetry uh, Competition. Well, you must tell us about how to apply for the poetry competition. (laughs) The Jubilee being... Queen of Hearts, yes. Yes, (laughs) being, of course. You can write about any Queen, actually. Oh, so tell us more. (laughs) Well, we will be announcing details of how to apply soon. And we'll have children's sections, which um, together with the Anglican Church and the adult section will be um, entirely... Uh, our competition and announced at the um on the 12th of july
0: and of course the jubilee is in relation to the queen the queen's jubilee yes it's
1: a big year for the queen and it's a big year for the british luxembourg society 75 years Uh, other events that we have planned are a history talk on the uk's diplomacy um part in uh, luxembourg history and uh, Guy Ooh, what does that mean? You
0: <laughs> <laughs> just explain the title a bit more.
1: <laughs> if if you um, if you look if you go back, I think about one hundred and fifty or one hundred and seventy years. Uh, yes, uh, Luxembourg was a different size than it is today. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. There's parts of uh, and the Belgium. UK I think actually it. played a part in that. And Guy Tavis, who's the director of the two city museums, uh, he will give a lecture to us later this year, in the autumn, hopefully. May
0: I ask, uh, Britain was a part in, in the size diminishing or...?
1: Um, <laughs> well, you'll have to join, will have to join. I'll have, to, you, join. Lisa, I'll have
0: to join. My, my history knowledge doesn't go that deep, sorry. Yes, yes, I will have to learn more about this country's borders and how it came to be.
1: Exactly. So if you join, you will be able to attend Guy Davis's talk. Uh, we also hope to have a trip to London, uh, Jackie is actually organising the trip to London. It should have been two years ago, but thanks to COVID, we've had to <laughs> put it off a little time. With now all uh, of the travel fantastic restrictions. Yeah. to London with some um, amazing venues, uh, which you wouldn't necessarily visit. How many own. people can go on the trip? 20. 20. Mm-hmm. And so put your name down for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's okay. I'll leave that space open to others. Even though I've lived in London, I would love to go on this trip. It looks absolutely amazing.
0: Oh, that that is Uh true, actually. Even though we may have lived in London, going there as a tourist is quite a different thing sometimes.
1: Yes, and visiting places that you couldn't necessarily have seen before. Do you want to mention... Jackie, tell us us about the trip.
4: Um, Well, we had it planned two years ago. And, of course, lockdown came and... We had to, we had to, ca- or postpone. Um, the trip, I think, is good. We've got quite a lot of private tours, i.e. a, a tour to the V&A Victorian Albert Museum with a curator. Very uh, nice. Backstage at the Royal Opera House. Very nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can see why Louise is tempted. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, we're lunch. going. We're having lunch in Middle Temple, uh-huh, lawyer's good, city. Yes. So uh, um, organized by one of our patrons, Sir Nicholas Forward. Um, we're having a tour around Guildhall. We are visiting uh, the, armourer, the Braziers and Armourers, which is one of the London guilds of whom a former ambassador here is now in charge. So quite a diverse program, cultural. Um, historic, and as I say, the, I think the key thing is most of them are going to be private tours, if not all. So, people, and we are staying in the centre of London, we're staying just north of Oxford Street, but on a Quiet. <laughs> Quiet. It's the uh, bottom end of Marylebone High Street. So, possibility of a little bit of shopping too. A possibility of, <laughs> yes, a little or quite a lot of shopping.
0: <laughs> Darren, I just want to turn to you again to, to bring in this point that you mentioned about Brexit, which is um, hurtful to some British people here and kind of carries heavily in the heart. Do you think that British Luxembourg Society has the chance to sort of make amends there and uh, celebrate British culture?
3: Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, those of us that are living in Luxembourg, the vast majority, if not everybody, of course, um, if they had the opportunity to vote, would have voted to stay. Um, and I think, you know, that, that's a message that we want to make sure that, that people understand um, that we, you know, we, we've made our lives here. We have our families here. Um, so I do think there's, there's a lot of um, continuing to make sure that those, you know, bonds of friendship exist um, between, you know, these two amazing countries. Um, and, you know, once you see and come join us at some of these events, you'll see how um, open and friendly we all still are. <laughs>
4: Hopefully so. One thing I would like to add, Lisa, is that from very early on, the society offered English language classes. I think if you go back, there was very little English available. It wasn't taught in school. The Irish and British hadn't joined the European Union, so you know which was a tremendous driver for the language. And the um, Luxembourg Society offered classes, hugely well supported initially and still so. Beginners, intermediate, advanced, and even preparing people for the Cambridge Certificate of Proficiency. Those have gone on resolutely through the whole period of time. And in the last couple of years, we've done something else. We've added Luxembourgish classes,
0: Very nice. So it goes both ways. It
4: goes both ways, and that was much needed in my judgment.
0: Well, yes, I know which side I need to join.
1: I know. There (laughs) you are. Although perhaps people will write in and tell me there's something else. We also have um, art classes. Oh, how lovely! Yes, those were started. What? Sorry. A couple of years. We started off with art history, and now we've moved on to more practical. So it sounds to me like you're a wonderful
0: cultural endeavour, lots of culture. Lots of
1: tours as well. Tours? We have a tour of the Abbey Neumünster because um, the Abbey Neumünster are um, supporting our event with President Juncker in May, uh, g- uh, giving us free use of the auditorium, which is very kind of them. And so they will also give us a tour at the end of April of the Abbey and tell us about its history. I know that there was a women's prison there. There's a lot of history.
0: I knew it was a prison. I didn't know it was a women's prison. Gosh, (laughs) the
1: plot thickens. (laughs) And I mean, last year we had a tour of the Chambre des Députés with um, uh, uh, Monsieur Fernand um, Edchen also giving us a talk about it. And um, we also had a tour um, of the Conseil d'État. Patrick Santo is one of our patrons and he gave us a tour himself. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Hubert Wirth, uh, Hubert Wirth, he's um, helping us with our history talk, and with Guy Davis. And um, we also will have a gala dinner later in the year, hopefully at the um, uh, Borglinster.
0: Oh, well, it sounds to me like this is a very, very nice society to join for some cocktails, some lovely dinners and some wonderful tours and cultural trips either in Luxembourg or in London.
1: And then more importantly, uh, we've come together recently to make a, a volunteer list. Um, the in fact it was the British Embassy asked us whether we could make a volunteer list and we have quite a good list of people we're just waiting for a project but in the last couple of days we've been talking a lot to um, l'Ukraine ASBL and uh, they've made three suggestions for a project that we could run to help um, with the Ukrainians. Yes, or that they will run with the British, in fact, they will run it with the British Luxembourg Society of Volunteers. And it might be a godparent system to help out. Um, I think it's already beginning to uh, be created to help uh, families who are hosting. So that each family would have a godparent and they can help out with administrative things or a bit of shopping or take the families out for you know coffee.
0: That's an absolutely wonderful idea so that people yes. can help even if they can't provide a home or a place in their home for the refugees.
1: Exactly. Any final thoughts? Well,
3: if you were considering joining, of course. <laughs> Make a point and um, get in touch with us.
1: And uh, Please do look at Chris Atkinson's uh, classes because he's doing the English literature classes, the art classes, and he's organising the Luxembourgish classes. He's, He's our star. He sounds like a very busy man.
4: And it's all on our website. Wonderful, which
0: will be linked to this show. Yes. Thank you all so much for your time, for coming in today. And we wish you the very best of luck and enjoy this 75th anniversary year. Thank goodness the masks have come off and there is some networking opportunity in person, which can be enjoyed by all. Thank you so much. Thank
3: Thank you. you.
4: Thank you, Lisa.